请加入在 iTunes 上由高猛和朋友的骇客秀，每隔周日由芝加哥现场原汁播送。Hey everyone! When I'm in Chicago, I check out Gummo and friends on Hackers. If you like cool stuff like gadgets, gossip, and gear, then you really should check out the show. Gummo is on iTunes and everywhere else. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show.、Uh, I am your host Gummo. This is a little show that we put together a few years ago, and somehow miraculously, it's still around. This is、uh, show number seventy-one. It's June, June the tenth.、Uh, it's a rather cool evening here this evening in Chicago, coming to you from downtown Chicago. And as I said, it's a rather、uh, unseasonably cool evening here in downtown Chicago. I think we've only had one or two eighty-five degree days here in Chicago so far this year. It's been unseasonably cool, so、uh, looking forward to it warming up quite considerably. I believe almost summer is officially here, wherever you are. Winter for those in、uh, the southern part of the globe. My brother just moved to Australia, and so winter is almost in full effect down there. Interesting. What about you? How is your year going along so far? How is your summer starting off? Is it starting off good? Or are you having like a miserable time and shit isn't going well, and you're just ready to pull your hair out every evening on the way home from、uh, your job? <laughs> well, either way, it happens to everyone, so don't feel like you're、uh, uniquely alone in that position. It's good to be back. It's been a, a few、uh, weeks. I was about to say years. It's been a few weeks since I've been here,、um, sitting at the, you know.、Uh, Little board terminal thing, and、um, I believe last time、uh, that we spoke about、uh, credit card skimmers and just a little bit of news and the Russian hacking、uh, stuff and、uh, how to sell a honeypot and all of those. And you you can check out those shows and many more by going to hackers dot xxx. Clicking on the show or podcast link, and it will take you to the show page. That's also at hackers.xxx/show.html. 
and there you can download and listen to each episode that we've uh, created so far. And so, uh, yeah, we, we've, over the past few years, we've taken a little journey into self-expression, <laughs> anger, pain, and uh, a lot more, but uh, here we are. We, we still are here. Uh, no ads, no brought to you by, no sponsored by. Um, <laughs> none of that. None of that. Why do we need that? You know, it, it, there's so much out there. There, it's it's as far as media and ads and marketing plans and such and. I mean, every day, if you really think about it, considering what type of media you consume, you you, ha you are most likely going to run into at least an, one ad advertisement. Uh, and, you, you know, so you try to limit that. I do. <laughs> so that's why I don't have ads on the... Uh, podcast i really and i really think it, it, you know hey if if you're making money <coughs> if you're making money off of uh, a podcast that's great i mean i'm sure you deserve it but we don't we don't we don't deserve it nor do we want to make money off of it <laughs> uh and again hopefully you are having a good summer it's been uh it's 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 been it's been an interesting year so far. Here we are uh, at the halfway mark with a lot of anniversaries actually at the one year mark. Uh, and and we'll talk about that uh, the one year anniversary of the WannaCry situation out there. And uh, a, a, another anniversary, <laughs> uh, the Hide and Seek botnet. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, also, we, we, I don't know why I said we. You know, it was uh, with, with sad instance that I discovered that Anthony Bourdain, the famed chef, passed away this past week. What a talented person. I, I'll, you know, I, as I mentioned before, many, many times, I, I, I really don't watch television, but uh, his, his show was actually one of the shows that I truly enjoyed. Uh, and uh, what, what a poet he was. Truly, truly uh, an amazing talent and um, uh, sad news for his family and uh, our condolences, of course. Uh, and uh, again, you know, I said that I wasn't spending that much time on television, but um, recently I, I was catching something pretty cool. Uh, I caught it pretty cool, actually. Um, it was on YouTube. So I, I do have, uh, you know, I am guilty of uh, paying for a YouTube subscription. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that's because when it, when I, um, you know, when I'm... When I'm listening or to music on YouTube, and there's a lot of it, or watching uh, videos on YouTube, uh, the ads are truly annoying, right? So, yeah. And ad blockers don't work. Uh, and, you know, there's hacks and, there, you know, it's cat and mouse games. And so, you know, rather than, you know, to... Yeah, whatever. Anyhow, I have a YouTube Red account, right? And I really enjoy it. Uh, just because the ads aren't there, but uh, recently, um, even even though I would, when I logged in, somehow Google's algorithm, in one sense or another, knew that, I, and I don't know how, it was like, you are interested in martial arts. Now, here's the thing, yeah, you know, I, I've been practicing martial arts for, what, uh, almost 30 years and uh, it was interesting to discover, uh, just, you know, like, what? Like, and so I went, uh, I went through the Google voice, uh, thing, chat speaker that I, uh, recently set up 
And lo and behold, there was a query to Google to search or uh, for some sort of martial arts uh, move, which I had not instructed Google to do a search for. But, you know, since it's all tied in with your name and a YouTube account, you know, it, it kind of all you know, brings it under one environment. And that's what it did. And I was, so I was quite, I, uh, you know, I knew it, I, you know, it's not like, oh my God, my privacy was invaded or anything. I was just like, I kind of knew it. And I'm like, fuck, okay. You know, so, uh, you, you know, you do have the option so-called to delete your search history from the little Google chat uh, AI thing. And uh, I did that, but uh, still here I was left with a, 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 a commercial on my YouTube Red account, which I don't, uh, you know, necessarily uh, pay for commercials. Uh, nevertheless, I saw uh, an advertisement for uh, Cobra Kai. Now, um, and I'm like, what, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai, you know, and I kept seeing it and I was just like, oh, what, what the fuck? That sounds familiar, right? And um, so finally, you know, I'm like, fuck, okay. I'll, uh, it, it wasn't actually an ad, but it was a suggested video, right? So it wasn't like a legitimate ad, but it was always persistence in my, you know, suggested playlist. So nevertheless, I clicked on it. And so <laughs> what, what did I uncover? It, it was actually uh, the continuance of the movie The Karate Kid. <laughs> from the 1980s and if you are not familiar familiar with the karate kid just you know do a search and if, if you've never heard of it you know you you absolutely should have heard of it uh so i went down the wormhole i watched the um i watched the whole trailer and basically wow <laughs> so there i was uh, i i i watched watched the trailer on a friday evening on the train ride home and by the time i got home i was like three episodes into this and so they're like 25 minute clips or shows or episodes per se and it, it really is the continuance of the karate kid movies uh and and i'm talking about the ones from the 80s like karate kid number one and two and it picks up from number two till today and man what a fucking great thing it was to watch something so cool and actually enjoy it and be entertained uh and you know yeah it's the karate kid yeah there's violence yeah i get it but it really uh they brought a lot of the modern issues that teens face this day and age into the show and just back wrote it uh and brought integrated all kinds of uh very cool things and uh so can i recommend it absolutely and uh if you haven't heard of it uh you should really check it out like seriously if you if if you're if you're you know older <laughs> like me and you remember the Karate Kid, or if you discover the Karate Kid along the way, and you're much younger, uh, this this is the real deal, and it was really really entertaining to watch. And so, uh, check it out, it's, uh, Cobra Kai. It's really it's really cool. It's like everybody had like uh, some kind of uh, something cool to say about it and i was like yeah yeah it was it was it was super 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 duper cool and you know that's uh you know that led up to me uh getting around to uh finally uh, <laughs> after being pent up for an entire day uh i was able to get out and uh put some seed out on the grass and uh watered it uh, growing grass is so interesting because you just throw it down and you just water the shit out of it and it grows and it's so rewarding to see grass grow. For some reason, I, I'm, 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 I feel so self-rewarded from growing grass. Yeah, right. And so I was out there watering the, uh, the where I seeded and my neighbor's like, watching the grass grow, huh? And I'm like, oh shit, yeah, yeah. So I've been out, I've been uh, you know enjoying the normal things of life since I've, I've healed from my surgery and 
one of those, besides growing the grass, was uh, throwing some things on the barbecue. It's been so long since I've barbecued, my God. And so, uh, you know, after the first botched attempt, <laughs> I went in for week number two, which was last week, last weekend, and uh, jumped on it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I got the ribs right. I got the, uh, I, did bur I did the burgers right. I've learned how to barbecue using the offset method. And, oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Uh, I get really excited. I really get worked up, man, when it comes to barbecue. Uh, it's just my thing, you know. Maybe it's the primal shit about it. Who knows? But I really enjoy, <laughs> really enjoy it. Um, yeah, wow, yeah, lots, lots of things going on. Uh, speaking about those anniversaries, uh, we'll get we'll get back to that in a minute. But uh, one of the one of the biggest uh, things that I've been following in the news uh, lately is um, the whole Google thing, right? So uh, it was um, basically a controversial government contract that led thousands of Google employees to sign a petition in opposition and dozens to quit in protest will not be renewed. Um, the project known as Project Maven uh, and was billed by Google as a small non-offensive deal through which it would provide open source AI software to the Pentagon that could help the military flag drone images requiring further human review. Um, but uh, most, uh, a lot of the uh, company's employees themselves um, protested um, and uh, proclaimed that it actually went against the against uh, Google's "Don't Be Evil" motto. Uh, and recently, Google Cloud CEO Diane Green announced that the Project Maven contract would not be renewed when it expires next year. She went on to say that the backlash over the deal has been bad for the company and that the contract was pursued during a time when the company was actively seeking military work. Now that's interesting, you know, that, that should not be uh, any, any, you know, surprising news at this point with what we all know about these big uh, technology companies and the integration with Google's, uh, uh, with government services rather. Google went on to say that they are indeed working on a set of ethical principles meant to guide its AI work with the military. It also said that it would not allow its work to be used for the development of weaponry. So that, you know, it, that's kind of not surprising again. Uh, if that's something that uh, you you're, you're aware of at this point in the game. Uh, and it's, it's been an anniversary on a lot of things. <laughs> not, not, uh, not particularly. I don't know. Hey, uh, anyhow, Facebook once, uh, Facebook has started a new service. You know, recently Facebook has been under uh, a, a quite, uh, quite a tremendous amount of of uh, pressure because of uh, their their privacy policies. Um, they yeah, third parties uh, spamming and and uh, basically uh, taking your name and your browsing habits and what you like and mostly everything about you and what you you say do and like and don't like on the uh on facebook's platform and of course being it's being sold to third parties rented leased accessed uh bought traded uh and it was interesting also i was uh reading into the whole uh you know checking out the whole facebook uh propaganda thing uh and with all of that said uh, it, it's it's also been reported that they were also uh, in collaboration with uh, overseas companies um, providing data ab about its users to those companies, hardware manufacturers. Now, uh, you know, I can see, you know, some test test accounts or if you're testing uh, account, you know, direction. 
But uh, really? Nevertheless, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, the, the founder, Mark Zuckerberg, was on Capitol Hill apologizing. Uh, here in Chicago, there are ads plastered all over God's creation uh, with little slogans like uh, spammers are not your friend and um, chatbots are not your friend and uh, only friend who you want and all of this stuff. Uh, and they're everywhere. They're on most, uh, on every train line, every public ad space you can think of. They're in this uh, city of Chicago. And of course, uh, you know, it, it, the proof is in the pudding, right? You know, they, they sold and rented and leased and had their services compromised many, many times over and over again. Uh, warning after warning within the hacker community about using the service voicing your opinion, uh, etc. Because that's actually the first place of <laughs> anyone's going to go and search for uh, you at. But uh, never. So, uh, you know, taking take so. Uh, so what I found uh, mostly outlandish about the entire um, in all of that. <sighs> after all of that, right? After all of that, um, so they they've announced also that they're partner, partnering with several third party groups such as the cyber civil rights initiative and the national network to end domestic violence to distribute review forms to those who had to deal with former sexual partners improperly posting their sensitive images requesters are given a one-time upload link to send these images to facebook where they are reviewed by a handful of specially trained members of the company's burgeoning content review team these team members then will create what's effectively a digital fingerprint of the images so that their facebook's systems can automatically recognize and block the images before they can be seen by anyone outside of the company the program is undergoing trials in the United States, the UK, and a couple of other countries. Now, it, it, you know, amid the slew of fallout since the Russia meddling and the Cambridge incidents, uh, etc., uh, Facebook continues to institute a range of reforms, cutting off data sharing agreements, uh, etc. Uh, they supposedly have been uh, committed to hiring over what, what, five more thousand uh, members of their content review team. So here's the thing. So now what so now what basically uh, Facebook not only wants to know everything about you, they also want to see everything about you, because now if you have some uh, explicit photos of yourself uh, or um, uh, very private photos of, of uh, something uh, and and now in fear of those that content being posted you go ahead and send that explicit content to Facebook and their algorithms will search for that whenever it's posted in the future uh, I cannot even begin to tell you how outrageous that is and I also cannot begin to tell you that I'm that I would like to apologize, but that's the world we live in now. Man. Oh my God. I don't even. Uh, and Jesus, you know, about 20 years ago, um, the, the, the hackers from the loft, if you've never heard of the loft, uh, a few cool dudes, uh, put together, uh, their talents, space rogue, mudge, weld. Uh, you know, and these guys, were, <laughs> these guys were badass. And so they sat on, um, 
they went in front of the Senate congressional um, de deal 20 years ago to say, hey, you know, uh, basically we could take the internet out in five minutes. Uh, but most recently, uh, 20 years on, most recently, the occasion was a reunion of four members of the hacking collective Loft Heavy Industries. And it was organized by the Congressional Internet Caucus Academy and the Senate Cybersecurity Caucus. And almost after 20 years, Loft members warned of rampant insecurity online in the Senate's first cybersecurity hearing. Kingpin Joe Grand, today pr product designer and founder of, uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and just play a clip from uh, the latest deal. And uh, that, that way you can get like a better idea um, what actually was going on. Yeah, I've been luckily I've been watching the Twitter and uh, a lot of people who are live tweeting have been quoting you guys. So not all is not lost and left to the official record. Um, before we move into audience questions, I want to, you know, just kind of pull back for a second and remark upon the fact that, you know, Joe, you were calling out the fact that we have we have, you know, these hardware classes of attack that are the same as they were 20 years ago. And we've also seen a lot of technology, um, you know, and a lot of vendors that didn't consider themselves software companies or hardware companies, you know, we, moving into the space of actually having to secure hardware and software. And I want to make the point that, you know, in the world that we had 20 years ago, the internet was so much smaller than it is today. And we still were having, you know, a chase the technical debt problem back then at the scale that we were back then. Um, we were, as hackers, learning how to not exactly blend, but how to communicate with the people that we needed to convince to do something. Some of it was through, you know, full disclosure, and some of it was through, you know, more diplomatic means. And to, to this day, I feel like we've got, you know, we've got a long road ahead of us, but if we capture the principles that we had to learn in the early days and start applying them to the emerging technologies before they've all taken over, it may sound like it's too late, but you know, as Mudge said eloquently, you know, the best time to have done it would have been 20 years ago. It's never too late to start, um, especially applying those lessons to the newer technologies and the newer, uh, the newer areas. So now that you guys have rearranged your microphones, um, I want to see if there are any audience questions uh, for this group of people from people who are maybe not descended from them. Hold on. We'll get to you, bud. We'll get to you. Okay. Over there. The question was, uh, how does the Internet of Things define us and does it need to be legislated for those who are watching the stream? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I don't know what can be legislated. Uh, I, I don't know if, I, I have no idea. Um, but I think the... <laughs> no, <ex> <laughs> I'll, I'll no. tell you what can be done. I mean, but, yeah, I, th I think the... The important thing is the important thing is education, and I don't think you can legislate forcing somebody to a vendor to sort of educate their their customers. Maybe you can try to hold them accountable for providing some set of resources. There, it's a very complicated issue because even if you have implemented a checkbox full of do this, do this, do this, like FIPS 140 compliance for for cryptographic devices, it doesn't mean you're totally secure, but it gets you to a level that's a lot better. So maybe. If you have to, if there is some legislation, maybe it's about um, just getting to some minimal level and not just pushing out products without thinking about anything at all. One, I think one thing that can definitely happen is the FTC has a lot of power in this space and can bring their weight to bear against certain companies as set an example to other companies to make secure products. FTC is a good one. Um, I, I'm going to challenge the statement that like FIPS 140 and the other ones make things better. 
because actually we haven't seen that to be the case. In fact, EAL certifications of higher levels explicitly call out that higher levels of certification, much like FIPS 140-2, have no actual bearing on the safety and security of the end product. They're more about nomenclature and they're about processes and they're about interoperability. One imagines those things should make it better and we, you know, we'd like to think it does, but when you actually go measure, we don't have any actual evidence that shows that a FIPS 140-2 product, which I've popped a bunch of them, are any more difficult than non-FIPS 140-2 certifications. What I would really like to see with the Internet of Things is we've been tearing apart uh, CyberITL, which is the part I'm, I'm the nonprofit that I'm the chairperson of, um, works with consumer reports on the digital, digital standard. And we've been tearing apart TVs and other stuff because they've been more interested in IoT. How can they inform their consumers as to, you know, which TV maybe has, you know, better hygiene than others if it becomes a risk? You know, wouldn't you like to, all things even, if the TVs cost the same amount, buy the one that's a little bit more costly to the adversary to actually take over and enlist in a botnet or something? And for me, Internet of Things is really broken down into two classes. There's one which is a shrunken down, full-blown desktop operating system. It's just a Linux system on a small ARM processor or something. And there's another one which is an actual honest-to-goodness like RTOS on an embedded system. And they're very difficult. And one of the things we haven't quantified, but by, at least by having the government say, hey, you got to show your, you know, you got to show your bill of materials. You got to show your software bill of materials. You have to show your nutritional label of what's inside this. We can start to quantify, does having a much, much smaller footprint with much less functionality on that RTOS, assuming you don't have like no passwords needed, actually make it a harder target? Or can you actually take this shrunken down large million lines of code thing, which we know is a large target, and use some of the tools that we've built up for hardening and defensive purposes? So if people can start to see what's inside, we can actually get measurements as to what's being exploited, what the cost is, and we can start making informed decisions as to not buying that crap. Unless you're the president, in which case you're going to still buy that, right? Well, uh, on the yeah. phone? Well, actually, that, that's a fun one because the, secu the, the iPhone that, uh, uh, that was used by Obama didn't come from NSA. That came from DARPA. That came from Dino DeZovi and it came from myself. And that's, I hope, at least the same one that, uh, <laughs> that POTUS is using now. No, I think the article said that, that one for Twitter is not. I don't always <laughs> believe the news Well, yeah, we shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but to get back to your, regular, your initial question about legislation, <laughs> I, I, would, I would argue that legislation is probably not needed, but that action through the FDA and other government agencies is an action through the cyber ITL to inform consumers will help, and that the market will eventually correct itself, hopefully, and that if it doesn't, then we can start looking at legislation. Or other ones. It doesn't have to be cyber ITL. Any, any of these groups, they just have to start putting data out. So there's a, there's a standard, not a standard, but recommendations in the UK called Secure by Design for IoT manufacturers. And it kind of goes along with what you know, Joe was saying, like get rid of the low-hanging fruit. Like at least get rid of the really, really dumb stuff. Because there's, there's no reason... There's no reason a manufacturer doesn't do the really dumb stuff today. They can. So the whole hard-coded password thing, we all know that's really, really bad, right? Um, the software not being able to be updated, like, that's really bad. And I'm sure we could quantify these things, too. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the bill of materials, like shipping with known vulnerable components or, 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 or components that can't be upgraded, we all know those things are bad. So we can have some baselines that can, we always say this at the loft, raise the bar. Like always be thinking about how do you go from like crappy security to slightly less crappy security. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it actually makes a difference, right? If you had like, you know, 50 botnet attacks a year instead of 100, that's making progress. This thing of like having a silver bullet that fixes all the security problems at one time through one regulation doesn't make any sense. We don't do that any, anywhere else. But if we incrementally keep making improvements, once we know things are bad, like hard-coded passwords, just try to eliminate the things we know are bad. Do you think, I mean, do you think, following on that question, do you think everything in terms of secure best practices that we've learned in the older world of more traditional s server and client computing, do you think all of it applies? This is a trick question. I have opinions, too. Trick question. Go. <laughs> I think a lot of the software, uh, the, the sort of the secure by design, like um, uh, thinking about security from the beginning, that we, you know, 
recommend you do if you're building software also translates over to the IoT world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like every generation of technology that we go through, we're relearning the same lessons, right? So we, we have uh, the old mainframe and client server days and we moved to the desktop days. We had to relearn everything. From desktop, we go to mobile. We relearn all the same lessons again. Now we're at IoT and we're starting over from scratch. Because in each iteration, the, the people that are involved, the manufacturers that are involved, don't have the security background, don't have the history of the lessons that were learned before. And so we're basically starting from scratch. And then we all come in and try to tell them, oh, you're doing it wrong. Well, we never showed them how to do it right in the first place. So. Mm. It, it also depends on what you really mean by what we assume security by design is or, or what we think is secure. And I'll give a few examples. You know, a lot of folks think layering extra security solutions on top of the problem makes it more secure. And in many cases, it doesn't. It increases the code size, it increases the complexity, and it increases the chance for vulnerabilities to be introduced. We largely know that in the community when it comes to antivirus at this point. In fact, when we were doing pen tests at the loft, I used to love when I saw a semantics box because I knew I could get in because it had semantic on it. <laughs> and now we're seeing a very similar thing. They only bought at stake. Shh. <laughs> 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 Whoops. Um, we're free. We're, we're free good, now. We have some good McAfee bugs, too. Uh, I don't remember those, but okay. Um, that similarly, with things that are called like next generation, you know, secure, we've, we've watched foreign nation states go into the major vendors that have them. And it's actually, so a lot of this is counterintuitive. You would say, I want to buy the latest and greatest, and it feels secure because it feels better to buy complex things than it actually does to reduce and simplify my environment. And when I buy the complex thing that all the other big targets have, an attacker, we know this, this is the cost of the attacker goes down. Because now all I have to do is figure out how to exploit it once, and I get all of those targets. So doing something more simplistically and doing it somewhat uniquely, which we might have even referred to a little bit as security through obscurity, ends up having a value. So there's a lot of counterintuitive things into what's actually secure when you look at it and what's not. So yeah, I, secure by design is, is a very double-edged sword. Yeah, and I think I think we you know we've always been touching on that that balance between the convenience and the innovation, right? The the United States invented the internet, and all of the things that have grown up, um, you know, with these internet-enabled technologies are the things that we were trying to put forward as leaders in the technology space ourselves. So that balance between build it fast and build it well and securely are are you know it's a big deal. Um, my trick question was about, you know, do all best practices from general computing apply in all environments? And my uh, counter example actually came from Bo Woods, who's in the audience. I think it came from him. I'm going to blame you, Bo, uh, which is that um, you want to have uh, something in place, generally speaking, to avoid um, brute forcing of passwords, except, you know, some sort of a locking. But you don't want that happening in an ER necessarily with, you know, with a, a computing device that is there to help save a life. So there are some use cases and we should examine where those seams are a little bit different as we're trying to carry these lessons forward. Um, another question from the audience, please. Whoa, okay, wow. Somebody was incredibly enthusiastic back there, so I'm going to go first. So the question for for the folks who are for the folks who are watching the stream, who are very very attentively watching, the question was: Does existing legislation uh, impede security research? And the example given was the Digital Millennium Copyrights Act, and I believe you had an oblique reference to the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Are we in fact too cautious with trying to impede bad actors, where we are discouraging the good security research? Take it away. Well, so the the, the legislation that you mentioned, the Computer Fraud Abuse Act, the the DMC. There's a couple other ones as well. Are all rather old, right? They're older than 20 years. 1985. Yeah, 85, 86. That time frame, um, and they were written at a time when the internet and computers, well, they weren't even thinking about the internet at the time. So they're also very broad because they weren't defined. The definitions that they used weren't really. They didn't know what they were defining. So they figured, oh, we're just going to include everything. 
as a result, uh, in my opinion anyway, the laws are overused by overzealous prosecutors. And as a result of that, we end up with uh, a lot of people who get charged with crimes who maybe shouldn't be. Um, and so if I think that there was some change in legislation that should happen, I would like to revisit those laws and either rewrite them or, or pass new laws to over supersede them so that we have better definitions for, that apply for today and tomorrow uh, and narrow the scope of what those laws cover. I'm pretty sure every does everybody agree on this panel generally speaking because I want to get to a few more questions We're so over time. I have something okay. real quick on this. Okay, so real quick One thing on DMCA one thing on CFAA and ECPA and I'll explain why they have to be used together um, DMCA was largely to prevent the theft of intellectual property and to prevent people from thinking that they lose money most of the um, financial and, uh, and the econ studies on this show that that's actually not the case. And if you're getting no copy protection and theft, that you weren't making money anyway, look at why nobody, you know, pirated Windows Vista. Um, so, and, and through that, they ended up cutting out a lot of research. And we fought very hard with a lot of people from Matt Blaze to Marcia Hoffman, et cetera, to make sure, and many, many others, that there are some carve-out. Those carve-outs are narrow. They need to be larger. That doesn't actually, from any empirical uh, information or evidence, show that that's causing DMCA, you know, causing loss of money to, uh, to IP owners. CFAA, to Space Oaks Point, 1985, it's been modified several times. It's been updated, but it's relatively naive. A lot of people attack it because it's, it's used selectively um, and it's used unevenly. What folks don't seem to realize is that if you changed CFAA, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, that would affect the Electronic Communications and Privacy Act as well. They are both intertwined. And justice uses the ECPA a lot. So if you wonder why there's so much pushback on CFAA modifications, it might be because somebody else is very vested in ECPA. We would have to approach both of them simultaneously. Well, I'm just not going to call upon the member of the DOJ who's in the audience to either confirm nor deny that. Um, Kingpin, did you have something real quick to add to this one? I was just going to say, more to SpaceRoy's point, yes, we live in a very litigious society, right? So it's, it's not just these large cases that you hear about in the news. It's researchers are scared to look at things, and they're scared to break things. Now that I have kids and I don't want to go to jail, um, I'm very nervous now. I'm very nervous when I look at, I'm nervous when I look at products. Because of those laws, they're so huge, and it really does squelch our community. It squelches the research community. And it's super scary. And I think that's going to prevent innovation as well, because if researchers can't hack on things and explore and try to fix things, we're never going to see the right solutions come out of it. Well, it's always good to see the, uh, the guys from the old neighborhood back in uh, true form. Good luck, everyone, on that. Uh, so moving along, uh, one of the things that I found, you know, I always find cellular technology interesting. Uh, you know, why? Well, because, you know, it's it's beamed right into my front door, right? Uh, be careful when you're playing around with cellular technology. Know what you're doing is <laughs> and make sure that you're really not breaking any laws. And if you are, don't tell nobody. Jesus. Uh, you know, so one of the things that I found really cool was there's uh, this kid named uh, Kel Norman who uploaded a video recently to YouTube showing you how he used an RTL SDR with a GR at GSM and Python script to create a simple MZ catcher. Uh, and I think we spoke about MZ catchers before on the show, but if you're not sure what it means, it stands for international mobile subscriber identity and that's basically each cellular device has that a unique number and that's what that is and it's a unique you know of course it's a unique number that identifies a cell phone uh so in, in the video actually uh for seven dollars you can make the video, uh, or you could make the device, which is you. It plugs right into your um, laptop. Really cool stuff, and I think I'm actually going to take one to uh, Manhattan when I go to the Hope events. Uh, and the user's name is Keld K E L D 
N-O-R-M-A-N. Check that out. An MZ catcher, a $7 MZ catcher. <laughs> it really works. <laughs> truly, truly some cool shit. Check that out. So as I said, it's been a year, right? It's been a year for a lot of things. It's been a year since I've been able to barbecue. It's been a year since I've been able to really gather my thoughts and sit back, take or not sit back, but step back and look at life and everything around me. And also one year later, you have the wanna cry and not pet ya. Pet ya. Wanna cry and not pet ya. Ransomware. The wanna cry virus was last year's big top story. I think I even spoke about that while I was in Jacksonville. The WannaCry virus was able to spread thanks to the Shadow Brokers NSA data dump, which exposed Eternal Blue to the public and was quickly abused. Using the same exploit, the NotPetya attack in June of 2017, which infected computers in almost 100 countries, That in WannaCry uh, caused um, significant uh, issues. Uh, e and even with companies such as Boeing, was reportedly um, hit with the WannaCry ransomware. <clears throat> Uh, so a year out, the anniversaries do indeed remind us that organizations need to be better equipped to face the next WannaCry or not pet ya. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about that big red button year, uh, a few years ago when we first started this uh, podcast. And so you must know where you must have backups of your data. Uh, if you are protecting your data or someone else's data, uh, it's important that you have many backups, uh, many layers, right? So if, if you're one of those people that say, oh, well, I'll just take, I'll just, I back up every day. Well, that's great. You know, so do I. But uh, if, if you're backing up every day, I mean, how many backups are you doing a day? Is it just one backup? Or do you, or whatever, mechanism that you are using to create your backups is it are you, is it sending different backups to different places it should anyhow uh it, it's um you know it's it, it continues to live actually uh which was quite interesting i believe uh the it, it was stopped by accident by a uh, security researcher who eventually was detained. Interesting. Uh, and most recently, security researchers have discovered the first Internet of Things. I really hate saying that. Or, or even IoT and having a, a discussion with me and someone saying IoT really makes me roll my eyes. Uh, but the first IoT botnet that can survive device reboots and remain in re infected devices after the initial compromise has been released. It's, it's really uh, touted as a major game changer from security researchers and bug finders and squashers or whatever. And um, it uh, is one of those, um, you know, pieces of computer code that uh, will affect your computer or, or not your computer, but your Internet of Things device. Recently, <sighs> security researchers 
found an IoT malware strain that under certain circumstances copies itself to forward slash Etsy forward slash in init.d forward slash comma a whatever uh, and it uh, houses the Daven scripts on a Linux based operating system and it does all kinds of other funky ass shit I don't even know what it does but it uh, it it's called hide and seek botnet You know, recently, <laughs> you know, when, when I'm putting, when I'm thinking about doing the podcast, I'm, I always do, you know, I like for the last several weeks, I've, I've written down or, or typed into my um, uh, iPod here, my iPod touch, which I disconnected recently from iCloud. Uh, and it's... Um, It was just one of those days, so I stopped at I stopped out at the uh, CVS right there on what the fuck is it? I think it's Adams Street. I don't know Madison Street, Madison Street in Chicago. When you come out of the train terminal right there uh, on Madison Street, there's a CVS. So I went in there. You know, I was so I was really you know it was it was it was just it was it was a morning. You know, one of those mornings where I wanted. I wanted some chocolate milk and some cookies, right? So, you know, the uh, so I went and, and picked up the little uh, the grand grandma's cookies from the little stand right there where they sell water, where they sell mostly beer. And I got I got a couple packs of cookies, it was like two for a dollar, whatever, you know. So it was two for a dollar if you had the bonus saver card, customer loyalty branded card thing program and i you know i of course don't have a membership with them uh i don't have a card or i'm not a bonus loyal member and so i you know i i really didn't care you know i just i want some cookies and chocolate milk so i started scanning it and i put it in the thing and uh it, it kept asking me for my loyalty membership card and i'm like well i don't you know i don't have one so i said no and then it locked the little self-service checkout terminal that I was standing at uh, so uh, at that point I was I was beholden to the technology and uh, needed to stand straight face forward and wait for the blinking light to summons the help of the friendly staff employee which turned out to be the actual store manager and so uh, he dolefully dutifully skirted over to my location swiped his little uh tag on the screen uh, scanner entered in uh, a flurry of numbers so fast that I, I think he won the award for typing shit uh and apologized to me nodded smiled and handed me my cookies back and said i i will uh do i have the customer care card and i said no but i'd like him for two for a dollar and he, and he told me, well, you don't have a customer care card, so you, you have to pay full price, which is $1.50 each. Yeah, so, you know, whatever. And so I'm like, well, can you just scan the, you know, the house card or whatever it is? And he's like, oh, no, we don't do that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm quite perplexed. I tilted my head a little and you know, raised my eyebrow and kind of shook it off. And, uh, and, and then so I just handed him the one and I said, okay, I just don't want it. I'll take one. So I scanned my cookies, I got my chocolate milk, and I left. Man. What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you are very well aware of what facial recognition can do. And if you're just, if you are just starting to hear about what it can do, uh, I think you should really look into what it really can do. Uh, right now, uh, a lot of law enforcement agencies uh, and um, government entities are <laughs> signing up for Amazon recognition. Now, if you are not sure of what the fuck Amazon recognition is, 
Go to aws.amazon.com forward slash R-E-K-O-G-N-I-T-I-O-N. Take a look at it. Watch the video. Be sure to watch the video and be sure to understand exactly what they are doing. Now, this also comes at the time when Amazon is taking truckloads, truckloads. An Amazon tractor trailer will pull up to a company, suck up all of their data and put it in their cloud system. This is no bullshit. You can search for it and you can see what you can see. And companies are giving companies, individual individuals and companies are gleefully putting it in the Amazon ecosystem. Anyhow, check out Amazon recognition. It's actually a commercialized version of what the Chinese government is doing. I hope that doesn't get me kicked out of Chongqing this fall. Oh, I'm going to did I say I'm going to Chongqing in October. Well, I am. I'm also going to the uh, ha- I'm going to the Circle of Hope, a hackers dozen July 20th through the 22nd this sun this Sunday. This summer in New York City. I got a dope ass suite a couple blocks from the event. I just cannot stay at the hotel pen. I'm sorry the last time I stayed at the hotel pen, I was fucking pissed off. It's slow. It's, it's, uh, I'm not even going to get to, I love going to hope, but I hate the fact that when I'm staying in that fucking hotel, it takes a zillion years to get from room to room, (laughs) but I love it. I'm there every two years. Uh, go to hope.net and hopefully, uh, if, if you attend, I'd love to see you. I'll be there. I'll, I will be in New York from the July 20th through the 25th hope.net uh and so you know it, it, during my satellite pirate high heyday days uh i used to use a um when i was writing code i used to use uh a particular form of code called bit masking and basically uh, if you're not familiar with what bit masking is, bit masking is the act of applying a mask to a value. And it's accomplished by doing bitwise XORing in order to toggle a subset of the bits in the value, bitwise anding in order to extract a subset of the bits in the value. Bitwise XORing in order to set a subset of the bits in the value. And so, of course, you can go on to the internet and all of its glee and discover and learn all about what bit masking is. And it's quite cool if you like to hide your code and stuff. I do. I like hiding my code and shit. I've been playing around with Plan 9. It's been actually quite cool. Um, (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. And one, one last thing. And I have to get... Please pardon me for a moment. Why... Here we go. (laughs) So, um, recently, a televangelist wants his followers to pay for a $54 million private jet. And it's his fourth private jet. Uh, you know, I, I tell you what, let's, <laughs> it's so, uh, it, it's so, in, 
it's so outrageous. I, I, I think what we'll do is we'll, we will play a clip and let you decide, and then we'll come back and we'll close the show. How's that sound? We're believing God for a brand new Falcon 7X so we can go anywhere in the world one stop. Now, people say, my Lord, can't you go with this one? Yes, but I can't go at one stop. And you see, if I can do it with one stop, I can fly it for a lot cheaper because I have my own fuel farm. And that's what's a blessing of the Lord. He said, I want you to believe me for a Falcon 7X. So I said, okay. But the first thing I thought of was how I'm going to pay for it. And then that great statement that he told me in 1978 flooded into my mind and said, Jesse, I didn't ask you to pay for it. I asked you to believe for it. All it's going to do is touch people. It's going to reach people. It's going to change lives one soul at a time. I don't want to learn how to fly it. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Yeah, uh, so that's that's all about that with the pastor there, and uh, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, right. That's what I thought. <laughs> it reminds me of the eighties. It truly, truly, truly reminds me of the eighties. I'm not kidding. It truly reminds me of the '80s. And if you weren't around in the '80s, uh, don't worry. You're living through them. You're living through part two right now. Uh, <laughs> so, with that said, uh, it, it it was good to come back and and uh, swing downtown this evening. It's it's quite nice down here. It's it's a little foggy, a little cool. Hopefully, you are having a good uh, summer so far. And uh, you know, reach out on. Um, Twitter. That's where I'm at. Twitter.com forward slash Gummo G-U-M-M-O-X-X-X. <laughs> That's me on Twitter. I know I should tweet more, but I don't. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can send me an email. Uh, go to hackers.xxx. And as always, uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'll... I'll <laughs> I'm going to actually try to do a few more of these uh, podcasts before I go uh, to the Hope event. And I may actually do one at the Hope event. I don't know. Um, It just depends. It depends on my mood. Uh, But nevertheless, I will be back before I go to Hope. And I hope you have a uh, wonderful week. And thank you for listening and tuning in. Yeah, that's right. No ads. (laughs) And uh, yeah, here's a cool song that's been rocking in my iPod. And uh, I'd like to share it with you. And uh, I'll be back. All right. I'll try to be back in a week and a half, maybe two tops. All right. I'll talk to you later and um, take care of yourself. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.
Just turn it 